0: Chapter Fifteen Part One of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P. T. Barnum, Written by Himself This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum. Chapter fifteen Return to America, Part One While I was at Aberdeen, in Scotland, I met Anderson, the Wizard of the North. I had known him for a long time, and we were on familiar terms. The General's Exhibitions were to close on Saturday night, and Anderson was to open in the same hall on Monday evening. He came to our exhibition, and at the close we went to the hotel together to get a little supper. After supper, we were having some fun and jokes together when it occurred to Anderson to introduce me to several persons who were sitting in the room as the Wizard of the North, at the same time asking me about my tricks and my forthcoming exhibition. He kept this up so persistently that some of our friends who were present declared that Anderson was too much for me and, meanwhile, Fresh introductions to strangers who came in had made me pretty generally known in that circle as the Wizard of the North, who was to astonish the town in the following week. I accepted the situation at last, and said, "'Well, gentlemen, as I perform here for the first time on Monday evening, I like to be liberal, and I should be very happy to give orders of admission to those of you who will attend my exhibition.' The applications for orders were quite general, and I had written thirty or forty when Anderson, who saw that I was in a fair way of filling his house with deadheads, cried out, "'Hold on! I am the Wizard of the North. I'll stand the orders already given, but not another one.' Our friends, including the wizard himself, began to think that I had rather the best of the joke. During our three years' stay abroad, I made a second hasty visit to America, leaving the general in England in the hands of my agents. I took passage from Liverpool on board a Cunard steamer commanded by Captain Judkins. One of my fellow passengers was the celebrated divine, Robert Baird. I had known him as the author of an octavo volume, Religion in America, and while that work had impressed me as exhibiting great ability and an outspoken honesty of purpose, It had also given me the notion that its author must be very rigid and intolerant as a sectarian. Still, I was happy to make his acquaintance on board the steamship, and soon regarded with favor the venerable Presbyterian divine. Dr. Baird had been for some time a missionary in Sweden. He was now paying a visit to his native land. I found him a shrewd, well-informed Christian gentleman, and I took much pleasure in hearing him converse one night it was storming furiously the waves rolling high afforded a sight of awful grandeur to witness which i was tempted to put on a pea jacket go upon the deck and lash myself to the side of the ship after i had been there nearly an hour wrapped in meditation and wonder not unmixed with awe dr barrett came up in the darkness feeling his way cautiously along the deck as he came where I was, I hailed him, and he asked what I was doing so long up there. "'Listening to the preaching, doctor,' I replied, "'and I think it beats even yours, although I have never had the pleasure of hearing you.' "'Ah,' he replied, "'none of us can preach like this. How humble and in- insignificant we all feel in the presence of such a display of the Almighty Power, and how grateful we should be to remember that infinite love guides this power. The Sunday following, divine service was held as usual in the large after-cabin. Of course, it was the episcopal form of worship. The captain conducted the services, assisted by the clerk and the ship's surgeon. A dozen or two of the sailors, shaved, washed, and neatly dressed, were marched into the cabin by the mate. Most of the passengers were also present. Those who have witnessed this service, as conducted by Captain Judkins, need not be reminded that he does it much as he performs his duties on deck. He speaks as one having authority, and a listener could hardly help feeling that there would be some danger of a row if the petitions, made as a sort of command, were not speedily answered. After dinner, I asked Dr. Baird if he would be willing to preach to the passengers in the forward cabin. He said he would cheerfully do so, if it was desired. I mentioned it to the passengers, and there was a generally expressed wish among them that he should preach. I went into the forward cabin, and requested the steward to arrange the chairs and tables properly for religious service. He replied that I must first get the captain's consent. Of course, I thought, this was a mere matter of form. So I went to the captain's office and said, "'Captain, the passengers desire to have Dr. Barrett "'conduct a religious service in the forward cabin. "'I suppose there is no objection.' "'Decidedly there is,' replied the captain gruffly, "'and it will not be permitted.' "'Why not?' I asked in astonishment. "'It is against the rules of the ship.' "'What? To have religious services on board?' "'There have been res- religious services once to-day, and that is enough.' If the passengers do not think that is good enough let them go without was the captain's hasty and austere reply Captain I replied do you pretend to say you will not allow a respectable and well-known clergyman to offer prayer and hold religious services on board your ship at the request of your passengers That sir is exactly what I say so now let me hear no more about it By this time a dozen passengers were crowding around his door and expressing their surprise at his conduct i was indignant and used sharp language well said i this is the most contemptible thing i ever heard of on the part of the owners of a public passenger ship their meanness ought to be published far and wide you had better shut up said captain judkins with great sternness i will not shut up i replied for this thing is perfectly outrageous in that out of the way forward cabin You allow, on weekdays, gambling, swearing, smoking, and singing till late at night, and yet on Sunday you have the impudence to deny the privilege of a prayer meeting conducted by a gray-haired and respected minister of the gospel. It is simply infamous. Captain Judkins turned red in the face, and, no doubt feeling that he was monarch of all he surveyed, exclaimed in a loud voice, if you repeat such language i will put you in irons do it if you dare said i feeling my indignation rising rapidly i dare and defy you to put your finger on me i would like to sail into new york harbor in handcuffs on board a british ship for the terrible crime of asking that religious worship may be permitted on board so you may try it as soon as you please and when we get to new york i'll show you a touch of yankee ideas of religious intolerance the captain made no reply and at the request of friends i walked to another part of the ship i told the doctor how the matter stood and then laughingly said to him doctor it may be dangerous for you to tell of this incident when you get on shore for it would be a pretty strong draft upon the credulity of many of my countrymen if they were told that my zeal to hear an orthodox minister preach was so great that it came near getting me into solitary confinement but i am not prejudiced and i like fair play the old doctor replied well you have not lost much and if the rules of this ship are so stringent i suppose we must submit the captain and myself had no further intercourse for five or six days not until a few hours before our arrival in new york Being at dinner, he sent his champagne bottle to me and asked to drink my health, at the same time stating that he hoped no ill-feeling would be carried ashore. I was not then, as I am now, a teetotaler, so I accepted the proffered truce, and I regret that I must add I washed down my wrath in a bottle of Heidsick, a poor example which I hope never to repeat." we have frequently met since and always with friendly greetings but i have ever felt that his manners were unnecessarily coarse and offensive in carrying out an arbitrary and bigoted rule of the steamship company though i have never lacked definite opinions or hesitated to exhibit decided preferences in regard to the different religious creeds i have never been so sectarian as to imagine that any one of the denominations is without any truth or exists for no good purpose. On the contrary, I hold that every faith has somewhat of truth, and that each sect, in its way, does a work which perhaps no one of the other sects can do as well. I was strongly confirmed in this general belief by an impromptu utterance of Dr. Baird during one of our conversations, which, under the circumstances, was not a little amusing, as it certainly evinced a good deal of insight into human nature. It is well known that the old doctor was very rigid in his theological views, and in his career never spared either the Methodists or the people of the so-called liberal opinions. During our passage across the Atlantic, we very naturally had considerable tilting in regard to opinion, which divided us, though in a thoroughly good-natured way. At last I recalled the case of a woman somewhat noted among her neighbors for coarseness of speech including profanity making her altogether such a person as needed the refining influence of religious teaching describing the very unpromising condition of this woman i said well doctor if you can do anything with your creed to improve that woman i should be glad to see you undertake the job i was at once struck with the business air in which he considered the exigencies of what was undoubtedly a hard case. It was clear that he had dropped the character of the sectarian and was taking a common-sense view of the problem. The problem was soon solved, and he replied, Mr. Barnum, it is of no use for you, with your opinions, to attempt to do anything for that sort of a person, and it is equally useless for me, with my views, to attempt it either but if you could contrive a way to set some fiery, rousing Methodist to work upon her, why, he is just the man to do it. There were a number of pretty, wild young men among our passengers, and on several occasions they tried their wits upon Dr. Baird. But he was a man of sterling common sense, and with that, very quick at repartee, and they never made anything out of him. On one occasion, at dinner, they were in great glee and for a lark they sent him their champagne bottle to drink a glass of wine with them they of course supposed he was a teetotaler as indeed i believe he was but when the waiter handed him the bottle he quietly poured a spoonful or two into his glass and gracefully bowing to the young gentleman placed it to his lips but not tasting it of course they could say nothing End of chapter 15, part 1, recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.